Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Insight. I'm your host Ali and joining me as always is Charlie. How are you tonight Charlie? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. A bit cold but doing well. So tonight we're going to be talking about a disappearance that is close to me. I holiday in the area where this little boy went missing and I also have a child the same age as the one we're discussing today. And so do you, don't you, Charlie? Yes, and he also only wears superhero clothes, so just keep that in mind as you think of me researching this case. Obviously, tonight Charlie and I will be looking into the case of William Tyrrell. This was a case suggestion from Annalise and Olivia, and Olivia also runs the William Tyrrell Disappearance Case Discussion Facebook page. So after this episode... If you want more information or you wish to discuss it a bit more, just head over to that Facebook page. We'll put links up so you can find it. So we're coming up to the second anniversary of William's disappearance and I, we just want to get his name and face back out there again. We hope that someone remembers something or someone knows someone that remembers something. You guys can spread the word out there and keep this little guy in the public's eye. Okay, so let's talk about William and what happened here. On Friday, September 12, 2014, three-year-old William Tyrrell was visiting his grandmother in the small country town of Kendall. Kendall is located on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, which is about 22 miles or 35 kilometres from the closest major town of Port Macquarie. Kendall is an old timber and farming town, and it has a population of around 1,000 people, and they are mainly sea changers, old rural families and retirees. So on Thursday, September 11, 2014, William travels with his parents and his five-year-old sister from their home in the Sydney suburbs to his grandmother's home on Benaroon Drive in Kendall. The next morning, the Friday morning, the family have breakfast and then William and his sister play in the sunroom of the house and they're colouring in with crayons, and William is wearing his favourite outfit, his Spider-Man costume. One of the adults take a photo on their phone of William roaring like a lion, which was something that he was into at that time. And his sister is in the background, and she's head down, engrossed in her drawing. William's dad then goes off to run some errands and takes some calls for work in the town where there was better cell service. At around 10.30am... William is playing in the backyard of his grandmother's house with his sister. They are playing chasings and he is running around and roaring like a lion. Now, this backyard is very big. It's surrounded by the Kendall National Forest and it's quick, and that kind of wraps around the side of the house. The lot is at the bottom of a steep hill on a cul-de-sac. So really, William's grandmother's house is in clear view of the whole street. You can explore this area on Google Maps and see for yourself and you quickly get a clear picture of the situation. From what I can see and what's been reported, this property was also unfenced. Anyway, so William and his sister are playing chasings. They're laughing and running around. William's mother and grandmother are sitting, watching the children play. As I said, William's father has gone into town on some business. William runs around the edge of the house, and he's still roaring like a lion. Then it has been reported... For as up to five minutes later, William's mother starts calling out to him, but there's no answer. 
She goes around the corner and then the front of the house. William is nowhere to be seen. William's mother and grandmother start searching everywhere and they call out to the neighbours, did they see anything? Neighbours start searching as well almost immediately. As a matter of fact, from what I can tell, this is all within five to ten minutes of William last being seen and the family did everything that you would expect. Anything that you could do, they did. They contacted the police within 10 to 15 minutes when it became evident that he wasn't in the vicinity of the property. I believe the police were on hand within 30 minutes searching for him as well. By that night, they had brought out over 200 people to search throughout the night for him. September in Kendall would still be quite cold, so it was a priority because at that stage, everyone had thought that William had run to hide in the forest or maybe he followed an animal in there and gotten lost. Searcher's priority was to find this cold, hungry, scared child. At that time of the year, temperatures in that area are in the low teens Celsius or around high 40s, low 50s Fahrenheit. Do you want to talk more about the search, Charlie? Yeah, let's get into that a little bit more detail. So this case is huge in Australia, but I have not heard it at all here. So I know my first thought when I started looking into this was, um, he's in the forest, he wandered off, of course. But let me tell you right now that after looking at images and reading more, I really don't think that's what happened. And even before we get into more of the investigation, just like you said, the grandmother's yard was large. And to get to the woods, there was a hill. And then when you hit the forest, it is almost immediately dense from floor to canopy. There's just no way that Even the most balls-to-the-wall, rambunctious three-year-old would have gotten out of earshot in the forest in that time frame. And I agree, because by all accounts, he was a shy child. And as you said, you look at the photos, it would have been scary in that forest. There wasn't like there are hiking trails or anything. It It is thick scrub and lantana, which is quite scratchy as well. And he only had a thin costume on. So look, I don't believe he headed in there as well. I've had three-year-olds who would have been up a tree in that amount of time, but by all accounts, like you said, William was not that type of kid. There is an interview with his mum, and she says that she tried to get him to climb trees earlier, and he just didn't want, he wasn't interested in it. He was also already playing a game with his sister and his mom and roaring and he, when he ran around the corner, so it just doesn't seem likely that he would have wandered off just to explore the forest. And I do have a lot of experience with kids, and so I really do think something had to have caught his fancy to distract him enough to wander off, and I don't think the forest would have been enough. But that's just some foreshadowing. We'll get into it later. And I guess we should bring this up now, the triple O call, which is the Australian version of 911. There is some controversy I guess around it saying that she sounds quite calm. Why is she calm? At this early stage, Your first thought isn't someone kidnapped your child. It's going to be he wandered off and gotten lost. So you aren't going to be immediately panicked, in my opinion anyway. I think there's a difference between sounding calm and sounding restrained. And to me, it's more just, okay, I've got to get this information out so that I can get help here to look for my son. I don't feel like it was, oh, my son's missing, whatever. Like it didn't sound calm so much as, just holding it together to get stuff done, which is what moms do. Exactly. So the search continued for almost two full weeks of 
hundreds of people searching up to a six mile radius looking for him. And I mean, so we're talking divers going through lakes, dams, and pretty much anywhere that held any amount of water. Search dogs were set out, and we'll come back to them a little bit later. The immediate area, plus the national forest beyond, and pretty much all the other heavily treed areas were searched. It was, a, like I said, about six miles radius, and they didn't find him or any trace of him, not a dropped toy, not a scrap of cloth, not a torn piece from his costume, absolutely nothing. And so they had to come to really the only conclusion that was left, that he was literally snatched from his grandmother's yard. In those five, maybe ten minutes, he was out of everyone's line of sight. And early on, there were alleged sightings that came to nothing. And someone did find a Spider-Man suit in the park in Port Macquarie, which is about a 30-minute drive from Kendall. It was similar to the one that William was wearing, but it wasn't a match. Okay, so before we go any further into discussing the theories of what may or may not have happened to William, I guess it's important that we address William's home situation. We didn't do this at the top of the episode because we wanted to focus on the important point, that this beautiful, happy little three-year-old went missing, most likely taken from one of the places he felt the safest, which should have been one of the places that he was the safest. Usually when we research a case, one of the first things we do is learn the main players. So we can refer to someone's name instead of, I don't know, Charlie's son or Ali's husband, for example. You may have noticed that we haven't done this in this case so far. This is because William's parents and sister's names have not been made public. You see, due to a complicated family history, it prevents them from being legally identified. So William's parents can't do what you or I would do in such a, such a horrible situation. They can't appear and make a plea in the media, they cannot give interviews to newspapers, and they cannot release their names. They do so to protect the privacy of William's younger siblings. Now, understandably, this didn't come out in the beginning of William's disappearance, and there was a whole heap of misunderstanding, confusion, and ultimately blame placed on the parents for not fronting the media. Some of that blame and accusatory comments are still around now almost two years later. Some of that is due to the confusion from the early stages of the disappearance. Some of that came from not understanding that they just can't be visible in the media. Now, there are a multitude of rumours on online forums and on social media regarding William's family background. However, we aren't the type of podcast that repeats unsubstantiated rumours that we can't back up with confirmed facts. For purely that reason, and the fact that we don't want to be sued, we won't be repeating these rumours here. One of the things that I think people really need to understand is that the information that we're not sharing and not supposed to be sharing, that's to protect the family and to protect the other children. Even if we were prone to repeating things we couldn't substantiate at all, it would be completely irresponsible for us to do that. And really, I don't think it adds any more to the story. The police, we do know that the police investigated the extended family in the early parts of William's disappearance, and they have been completely cleared. And that's really all we need to know about that, is that the police looked into it deeply, and it and they were cleared. And it's quite obvious from the photos that we do see of William that he was in a happy, stable, nurturing environment. Okay, so we'll start with the theories now. So do you want to take the first one, Charlie? 
Yes, and the first theory is opportunistic kidnapper. Allie likes to give me the hard words. Okay, so I guess the question is, was someone... Because remember, this is a cul-de-sac, a dead end with forest behind it. So was someone possibly hiding in this forest, maybe watching and waiting for an opportunity to snatch William, and they just acted in the window they had? But then you have to think, how did they get away? Again, this was really thick brush with no um, paths through it, so they couldn't have run it back to the forest. And where would they have gone? Into the middle of the nas- National Forest? So did they take him down the street? Now, you also have to think about this. It's broad daylight. And all of these lots were really large. This kidnapper would have been in front of it for a period of time that anyone in any of the rooms could have seen. And nobody saw anything. So this is a pretty risky situation for someone to grab a kid and start running off. William's mother has said that William kind of had the sixth sense of when his dad was arriving home and would go out looking for him. You know, the whole wait by the driveway and watch him watch for him to drive down the road. Is it possible that he heard or saw what he thought was his dad's car and ran to the side of the road to meet his dad? The search dogs do support this theory as well. So it rained shortly before William's disappearance, and from my reading on the search dogs, damp conditions are optimal for scent dogs. Now, raining immediately after a disappearance, like in the Jameson case, or not getting on the trail for a week to track them, again like the Jameson case, those are not great conditions. But damp air and searching within hours greatly improve the dog's chances of tracking William. And that's one of the good things in this case, because the police were on the scene very quickly and they brought the dogs in. Because of the large forest area, they brought the dogs in very quickly. William's scent went to the boundary of the property along the road. It did not take them to the woods, near the woods, or even into the woods. There was no scent past the boundary running alongside the road. And this is one of the case, one of the parts of the story that people do get confused They definitely, the dogs definitely did find William's scent in his grandmother's house and around William's grandmother's house, just not past the boundary of the property. What doesn't work with the theory of an opportunistic abductor driving off with William is that this would have had to been a very opportunistic kidnapper. Essentially, he would have had to almost drive by and say, oh, I'll grab that kid. Because the Tyrrells going to Kendall was a last minute decision. His grandmother wasn't feeling well. She'd been dealing with a recent death of her husband, and William's mom decided to, you know, bring the kids by, cheer her up for a few days, and kind of keep her company. They even went and pulled the kids out of daycare a little early so that they could make the drive. Essentially, no one knew William was going to be there. Additionally, the house was in a cul-de-sac in a rural area, so it wasn't like there was a main road or cars driving through who would have seen him earlier. Generally, and all we can do is speak generally here, generally the only cars that go into a cul-de-sac are homeowners or the guests of homeowners. Let's talk about the neighbors for a minute. They would honestly be the ones most likely to have the opportunity to take William and to do so unnoticed. But of course the police know this, so they searched the neighboring homes, not once, not twice, but three times in the hours, days, and weeks following William's disappearance. People were asked to report any movement out of Kendall around the 10.30 mark on that day. 
if a neighbor had taken William, there would have been some sort of physical evidence that it had been there or maybe someone's timeline wouldn't add up. Perhaps the dogs even would have led from grandma's house right to the kidnapper's back door. But none of that happened. There's absolutely no evidence that immediate neighbor was involved. Again, the amount of time William was alone is also a factor. So we're back to the likelihood that he came around the corner and there would happen to be someone driving around a cul-de-sac. It almost sounds like we've ruled out every possibility, but people talk that there's no way Maura Murray would have had an accident, walked away, somehow came in the path of a serial killer, because what are the odds of all of that happening? And that's kind of what we have here. What are the odds that all of these things would happen at once for an opportunistic kidnapper? I just can't conceive how an abductor would be hanging around that area. There are far too few places to choose from to abduct a random child. As you said, there's only one proper exit. It's in a quiet area, evidently with people home during the day, on a street that is normally devoid of parked cars. How could someone lurking around be inconspicuous? And how could someone preempt William being there on that day, at that time, and in that very instant, unsupervised, on the grounds of a house that was just an elderly person living there, not usually a child? William's mother reports that he was wary of strangers. So nobody heard him scream when he was grabbed or make any noise? I guess there's a couple possibilities. Maybe the kidnapper wasn't a stranger. I mean, and I don't mean someone who really knew him, but just someone he saw his grandma talk to before. He may have thought, you know, it's okay to say hi to that person because that person just interacted with grandma the, you know, last time we were here. Someone who lived in the area wouldn't stick out to anyone if they saw them driving around. I think the fact that it's William wearing his Spider-Man costume may have worked against him in this scenario. Someone could have started an immediate rapport with him by calling out, you know, hey, Spider-Man, something like that. That's a good point, because that would definitely happen with my stranger, wary, almost three-year-old who wears superhero costumes. If someone calls him by the name of what he's wearing, he'll puff out his chest and point out, you know, the Superman symbol Yeah. as he's connecting with someone who actually said hi, Graham, to him. He'd be like, not interested. I can absolutely see that from my experience with a superhero-loving kid. But, I mean, they didn't hear him scream. It's also possible that his mouth could have been covered, because they. but they also didn't hear a car drive off, because there is a distance between the house and the road. So, like I said, we're just kind of talking in gener- generalities and broad strokes here, because we don't know. If you, if you look on Google Maps, or there is a great... 60 minutes interview with the detectives involved and we can put the links up on our Facebook page to that but the distance between the house and the road it is a very large distance with trees blocking it so it is quite possible they mightn't have heard a car drive off and they were around the back of the house that's right honestly from when William rounded that corner and stopped roaring we know nothing everything we have is really just theory I know that was kind of a lot of back and forth. It could be or could not be an opportunistic kidnapper. But, I mean, that's just really the basics of that theory, the the pros and cons of it. And very early on, there were reports someone had dropped into the local general store and asked for directions to Benaroon Drive, where William's grandmother lived. 
Police investigated this extensively, and I think there was some CCT footage from the store that the police looked at, and they were quickly able to rule this man off any potential suspect list. Okay, so look, I, I don't know either. There are a few possibilities in my mind what could have happened. If he was abducted by someone, was it someone that maybe perhaps couldn't have a child of their own, and they were trying to raise him as their own child? Personally, I think this is the best case scenario, because... At least he'd be okay, he'd be alive and cared for, and just waiting to be discovered, which him being the most recognisable child at the moment in Australia, there is every chance in the world that this would happen eventually. In my heart, this is what I truly, truly hope is what has happened. I think in any child abduction case, this really is the best you could hope for, is that someone took the child and while that's traumatic and tragic, they took care of them and loved them. I don't know that many cases of it happening or particularly happening with a toddler versus like an infant. So I guess the problem here is if he really was abducted, he could literally be anywhere by this point. The Pacific Highway leads out of Kendall and that has miles and miles of thick semi-tropical bush. It heads down to Sydney and all the way up to Queensland. So he could be in the state. In between that and there are, there are national parks, state forests, huge isolated properties, massive lakes and creeks, mountain ranges, miles and miles of beaches, and roads that then turn inland and head to the other side of Australia. So if someone wanted to hide him forever, they picked a pretty good place to do it. Yeah, much of Australia is still rural, and I don't want that to make it sound like, you know, it's backwards because the cities are absolutely metropolitan, but just the the sheer amount of land that people live on huge plots of land. There's a large part of Australia that is inhabitable. We, it's just desert. You can't live there. You can't grow plants. You can't, it's not a sustainable lifestyle to live there. So there's, is a lot of parts of Australia that hasn't been investigated because you can't live there. So of course there are, there are other types of predators out there. And the investigation into William's disappearance changed to focus on pedophilia as a potential motive. So we are going to start by talking about the persons of interest. And I must stress that these are persons of interest, not suspects, but they have been named in the investigation. And some have spoken to the media or on YouTube. And we'll get to that. So Bill Spedding is a local repairman in Kendall, and he also owns a pawn shop in the area. Spedding is currently in the midst of court proceedings on a number of child abuse allegations dating back to the 1980s. I will save you all the details of what these charges are, but if you Google Bill Spedding, they are quite easy to find. Police have named Spedding as a person of interest, and they were quite public about that, which I do find a bit interesting. I'm not sure why the police have been so private about so much in this case, but they became public about this. I think it might be because they literally tore up his house when they were investigating him. They might have been worried that the media was going to catch on because Kendall is a very small town, which they did anyway, so maybe that's why they went public with it. Spedding, of course, denies involvement. He did go to William's grandmother's house to conduct repairs on a washing machine there. Apparently, he needed to order another part. Now, this was four days before William went missing, And there is some speculation that I've seen in some news reports 
that he was supposed to return to William's grandmother's house the day that William went missing. And as a matter of fact, I saw an interview with William's mother where she says that they were talking about calling him that morning to check on that part and see if it was in yet so he can come and fix the washing machine because the laundry was piling up like crazy. He did eventually come back like a week later to repair, to finish the repair. But I think the thinking here is this is someone who would have been driving on the cul-de-sac that day if he was going to repair the washing machine. And he would have been that opportunistic situation to see William playing outside had he been on his way there. And he would have had a reason to be in that area. But again, that's just speculation because Bill Spedding says that it wasn't, he wasn't coming that day. The part wasn't in, it didn't come in for another week. Yeah. And he says that in his statement that he posts on YouTube. In his statement, he states that he didn't return until the 18th, which was a full week later. He insists that he was nowhere near William's grandmother's house on that day or any day outside the two days he was there to fix the washing machine. So as part of the pedophilia ring that the police are looking into, Spedding has a distant connection with another person that is a person of interest in William's disappearance, and this person has over 90 convictions. This guy has a rap sheet a mile long, literally. This man is currently in jail. This man is Anthony Jones. And Anthony Jones specifically has convictions to do with child molestation. Jones was a member of the Grandparents as Parents Again group that is essentially grandparents who get custody of their grandchildren. Several other members of this group seem to have some pedophile charges or various other brushes with the law in regards to that as well. So what's interesting about Jones is William's mother later recalls that there were two cars parked out on the road in front of or close by to William's grandmother's house. This is strange for this area because, as Charlie said earlier, this is a country area, not a whole lot of residents out there, and the, the street was a cul-de-sac. There is literally no reason to go down this street unless you are going to one of these homes. So what's interesting about this is apparently this man owned a white station wagon, which was reported to be one of the vehicles there. Now, white station wagons are quite common in Australia, so this might mean nothing. Well, initially, Jones told police that he had gotten rid of that car and he didn't have it for that period of time. But they later found that he had just given it to a neighbour. So police then confiscated that vehicle from the neighbour. I can guarantee that the police have done forensic examinations on this vehicle and I did look for follow-ups as part of my research but the police have not reported any findings from any testing that has been done. The car is suspicious. I mean he gave it to the neighbour but of course he doesn't say that. He says I don't have it anymore. Well I mean he surely had access to it if it was at his neighbour's but the main thing is his rap sheet. Oh my goodness. I am really glad for your sake that this man is behind bars. And then we have poor Bickford. Bickford is currently serving a suspended sentence for an indecent act on a child. Bickford and Jones have ties together. Bickford was formerly the president of the Grandparents' as Parents Again group. And like Spenning and Bickford, the police have been very transparent with their investigation of Bickford. Unlike the other two persons of interest, Bickford has approached the media to try and clear his name. He has stated that he has an alibi for the day and time that William went missing and that he was at lunch with his wife and his friends 
but he can't remember exactly where he was at lunch. Bickford also owned a white Holden Commodore at the time that William disappeared, and Bickford's son also had a grey station wagon, but Bickford states that his son was in another state during this period. I think um, a check in the not-Paul-Bickford box would be he's only had charges against him for one victim that I know of, and it was a teenage girl, which is an entirely different demographic than kidnapping a young boy. Correct. And the last person of interest we have in the disappearance of William Terrell is Derek Nichols, and he lived in Kendall and only a short distance from William's grandmother's house at the time of the disappearance. In October 2014, Nichols received an 18-month prison sentence for the possession of child abuse material. Despite pleading guilty to these charges, Nichols denies that he has ever looked at such material. He also has some historic child abuse offences against his name in Victoria. Nichols has publicly denied any involvement in William's disappearance, and he claims that he was about nine miles away on the day in a town called Dunbogan. I think what puts Derek Nichols on the person of interest list is that he does have a conviction for an assault against a boy, and also he's just he's had some scandals in his past and he was in the area. He was not connected to the Grandparents as Parents Again group. He was an ex-priest. Is that what I read? Yes. I hope everyone who listens is on our Facebook page and looks at the promo videos that I post. But he's the guy who's really well dressed up playing the piano or organ in our promo. I I assure you I tried to find a better, less weird picture of him that made him look less kind of creepy, but I couldn't. That was the only one I could find. That seems to be the stock photo that is used in every article about him. So all that being said, I have to go back to the question. With the police going public with these men in particular and going public that these men are persons of interest... There is something that I can't shake in my head that says that they either highly suspect these men know something and maybe they are trying to raise the heat around them by making the public aware of their names and faces, or potentially these men are maybe guilty of some other crime and they're using this opportunity again to raise the heat around their names. Or thirdly, they are using these persons of interest to deflect away from their investigation of what they actually think happened. Letting the heat off of somebody else might cause that person to get too comfortable and possibly slip up some way. I do wonder, with Derek Nichols having the charges against him and the conviction for having indecent materials, those materials, yeah, you can get them from the internet, but a lot of times it's pedophiles trading them around. So even if he wasn't involved in any organized group with other pedophiles in the area, they may have all been connected. And there may be a bigger issue going on here, whether it's directly related to William or not, I don't know. And look, prior to this, people in the community didn't know there were registered sex offenders living in the area. Because in Australia, we don't have a public sex offenders register. And apparently there were 20 registered sex offenders around the town of Kendall. And I mean, this changed the landscape of the feeling of safety a lot of these residents had. Uh, I did see an interview with one mum 
And she said that prior to William's disappearance, she would let her child play unsupervised in the front yard all the time and they would ride their bikes around the block and she wouldn't have to worry about watching them. I mean, even for me, and we talked about this in the Beaumont Children episode, I remember simpler times when I used to walk home from school or up to the shops with my friends. There is no way I would give my children the same sort of freedom. Things are definitely different now in this town of Kendall, which is unfortunate. And I guess something that goes against the last two theories is William's age. Generally, and I can only speak generally here, obviously there is going to be some exceptions to this. But as you said earlier, Charlie, if a childless woman or couple took William to raise as their own, this does tend to be a newborn child, baby or a young baby. And generally, pedophile abductions tend to be older children around pre-puberty but older than William's three years of age. So I guess there's one more point we wanted to talk about that is somewhat related to William, and we just wanted to touch upon before we finish up on this episode. Do you want to talk about the geocaching incident, Charlie? Yes, and I have this one because I know what geocaching is. And I had no idea what geocaching was. (laughs) Geocaching is really just a technological treasure hunt. I know Pokemon Go is huge right now, and it's built on the, the same basic technology. People leave little boxes with trinkets or a logbook, and they they take it and they hide it out and about somewhere. They record the GPS coordinates, and then as a you know fellow geocachers use their GPS units, or thanks to the advances in mobile devices, just I use an app on my smartphone. So as a geocacher, you follow the coordinates on a map, find the hidden geocache, and you sign the logbook, or you kind of log it on your app. If you take a trinket, you generally leave a trinket. Uh, My family, we bring those little toys you get in like fast food Happy Meals or coins, and that's what we leave in them. So occasionally, geocachers lose some common sense. The first rule is that you should always ask permission of the landowner before you leave the cache. Sending your fellow geocachers onto private property where they will be trespassing is bad form. It's also recommended that you use a clear container. One guy used PVC pipe and capped the ends. So it essentially looked like a pipe bomb. So don't do that. That, That's ridiculous. We found them on bridges, under tree branches, and we even found a magnetic hide-a-key box under a newspaper vending stand in a parking lot. So that's the basics of what geocaching is. Are they supposed to be hard to find? Just curious. Yeah, they're supposed to be that people won't accidentally stumble upon it. So you do have to look for them. Sometimes we've had to look a long time and sometimes we've been able to figure it out pretty quickly. Okay. And that's just kind of the basics of geocaching. So what does this have to do with William? In February 2006, there was a man out hiking in Ken- in the Kendall National Forest and he came up to a tree with pink spray painted graffiti And it said, Jesus saves William Tyrrell. So underneath was hidden a glass jar with some random items inside. I couldn't make out what all of them were, but there's like a little keychain flashlight or torch, depending on if you're reading my script or Allie's. And there was probably like some kind of badge. It may have been a geocache coin that you move around. That's another story. But this put the whole area on lockdown, obviously, because here's this writing about William. And this bizarre jar of trinkets. 
And from what I could read, that it wasn't very far away from where William went missing. The jar was turned out to be a geocache, because like I said, these things are logged so other people can find them. The geocache had been there about four years. The spray-painted tree seems more like it was a coincidence since the geocache had been there for so long, and nobody logged that cache recently. So it's not like someone logged the cache and spray-painted. So it's probably random. However, that's so frustrating and upsetting. And I mean, that sums up so much of this case. This has been probably the most upsetting episode we've ever done. And even looking ahead, this is probably the most upsetting episode we will do for a while. There's so much information. And then filtering through which leads and sightings are real and which are not and connecting all these threads. It's just, it's so much and it's so overwhelming from this geocaching incident, but also there have been like, what, like a thousand reported sightings of William? There has been one just recently in New Zealand that the police have looked into. And I just, I can't even imagine what a job this is. And what his parents must be going through, like all these potential sightings when, I mean, you, you, it gets your hopes up and it amounts to nothing. I don't know how you possibly can manage your expectations day to day as this is still an open and active investigation. And there's also his sister. And from all accounts, they were extremely close. And I have read that she does ask a lot, when is William coming home? It's just the pictures of William and the playing outside while the mom's sitting on the deck. I mean, it it's all just so very much a normal day. I can't tell you how many times my kids have rounded a corner and I don't run immediately after them. It's unbelievable that this happened. My older six is a great joke to jump outside fence and go around to the front door and knock on the door. It's hilarious. But then we read this case and it's like, no, no, I'm locking you in my house. Exactly. I'm just going to leave you all with some information about William. William Tyrrell would now be five years old and he's of Caucasian appearance. William is above average height for his age. He wasn't overly tall, but taller than most boys his age when he disappeared. William walks with what his mother lovingly calls a swagger. William has hazel eyes and brown straight hair that grows very quickly. William is a very funny little boy with an incredible sense of humour, which is reflected in his big cheeky grin. His mother says that he has the biggest smile and his giggles and laughter are infectious. William doesn't immediately warm to people. He sits back and assesses them. If he likes you, he'll be 100% interested in you and what you are doing. He's very clear with who and what he likes. William is very sociable and an active child. He has three best friends from daycare. He can also be stubborn. William's quite strong-willed and very determined. William's favourite foods are Vegemite on toast, pasta, garlic bread, and he loves bananas, pears, ice cream, pancakes and potato chips. One of his favourite things to do is to go to Yum Cha with his family and eat prawn dumplings. William's favourite things to do include swimming and jumping in the pool, riding his bike and scooter. William loves to play dress-ups, role-playing and building. He's also very creative 
and he loves to draw, paint, play the piano, sing and perform for guests. I think like every child this age, he loves to sing Let It Go. William likes playing chasings and peekaboo games. He would hide behind the lounge and jump out and yell, boo, and then fall over in a fit of giggles. Spider-Man was a new discovery for him, and he loves his Spider-Man gumboots, gloves, and his costume. But being a typical boy, William is all about fire engines big time. Fireman Sam is an absolute favourite, followed by Paw Patrol. William was so proud of his big boy bed, and he needed to sleep with Spider-Man and his doll, which he would wrap in a little blanket that his mum had crocheted for him. He loved his dad reading him his favourite Fireman Sam books before he went to sleep. William is afraid of doors being closed. He needs to have the door ajar when he goes to sleep. If you have any information about the disappearance of William Tyrrell and his whereabouts, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000. You can remain anonymous. Outside of Australia, please visit www.police.nsw.gov.au and complete the anonymous online form. We will place this information and links to the Where Is William website on our Facebook and our website. Someone say something. Somebody knows something. Somebody can help bring William home. Is that somebody you? All right, and you can find all those links at our Facebook page, which is Insight Pod. Our website's insightpod.com. Instagram at InsightPod, Twitter is InsightfulPod, and our email address is InsightfulPod at gmail.com. We also want to say thank you to all those who support us on Patreon. You can search Insight there if you're interested in supporting us there. If you can't do the Patreon thing, you can still show your support to the show by rating, reviewing and subscribing on iTunes or any other podcasting app. That's how people find us. And we will see you guys in one week. Bye.